This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, I'm so excited to be here with you this week. And why am I so excited to be here with you? It's because congratulations are in order for me. Because I didn't get canceled after last week's episode. Now, I tried my best to say some things that would make people very angry in the last episode. Some of it was accidental. Some of it was on purpose. But guys, I made it. I made it through the fray. I made it over all the obstacles. I'm still here for another week. So let's see what we can do this week to maybe get canceled this week. But in all seriousness, I was very pleased with the uh, the reports back from people and the feedback that we got on this podcast, uh, the one last week. So guys, if you've not listened to episode 142 of this podcast, podcast race in America part one guys these are meant to build on one another this is going to be a three-part series so make sure you listen to them in order it's like watching the Rocky movies or Lord of the Rings movies or whatever you nerds watch like it's watching those out of order it's not going to make sense you can maybe piece some things together but I'm I'm wanting these to build on each other but as a recap for those of you that have already listened to episode or the first episode in this three-part series uh race in America part one what happened this is kind of what I went into I talked about my racial history, kind of the things I did growing up, uh, America's racial history, and a lot of things that have happened here in the United States. My view of law enforcement officers, uh, obviously it was a very positive view. What happened? Just in uh, generally what happened with uh, George Floyd and Rashard Brooks in those two situations. Uh, The universal thoughts on both of those situations and also some of the inconvenient truths in both of those situations that went down in Minneapolis and Atlanta, respectively. Um, And also how the aftermath of those killings has really almost nothing to do with the racial issues that we're seeing in America, almost nothing to do with police brutality, even in the macro sense, and certainly almost nothing to do with George Floyd or Rashard Brooks. And I talked about really four different things here and and the things that we all need to really remind ourselves of. And the first thing is that we have no evidence whatsoever that the reason George Floyd or Rashard Brooks are dead right now are because of two racist white cops. The second is the narrative that black men are being hunted down and killed in the streets, you know, modern day lynchings in the United States and how it's an epidemic uh, and basically how that's wildly false. The the third thing is just the rioting and looting. And we'll spend a lot more time talking about that today. And also the corporate posturing and the virtue signaling that we saw. But I wrapped up the episode by saying there are three foundational thoughts that might make you angry, but you need to hear. These are things that you need to hear and things that I, I want you to repeat to yourselves and to turn these over in your brain because they're true. And the first is that America is not a racist country. The second is that the Declaration of Independence was an abolitionist document. The third is that there is no such thing as systemic racism in the modern day United States. The fourth is there are really zero countries on the planet Earth that are devoid of racist people or racism entirely. The fifth is that that there's no such thing as reverse racism. There's just racism. And the last, the sixth is there are not two Americas. People claiming that there's two different Americas, a white America and a black America, that there's no such thing. Okay. But, um, Guys, one thing that I know that this podcast has done before we launch into today's subject matter, I know that this has sparked a lot of debates. I think this has sparked a lot of conversations with people, but I want to kind of give you a hint because I know there are some people that are kind of like, they're getting stuck in some of these conversations with people because maybe they haven't thought about this as much as other people or read a lot on it. But I do want to give you a quick note. If you're arguing or debating your friends on this topic, okay, I'll give you a hint when you know that you're winning or really that you've already won the discussion or the argument. If you ask somebody, to cite a specific example of racism, or you ask somebody to get some sort of a statistical basis for their argument, their side of the argument, which would be the opposite of the stuff that I've talked about here. And they either refuse to do that, or they immediately call you out for being a racist, pack it up. You're done. You've already won the argument guys. Cause that's a tactic that I'm seeing a lot. I'm seeing that a lot online. I'm seeing it in these interviews, these little snippets, even on uh, network television and things like that. It's people that as soon as you question the narrative, right? The, the narrative of the party of, of big brother, 
all of a sudden they get really uncomfortable with that. But the easiest thing for them to do is to use their ace of spades argument, which is to simply call you a racist. And hopefully over the last episode and certainly this episode, you'll have more information at your disposal so that you could basically push back against that nonsense. Okay. That's, that's what we're going to attempt to do in, a, in addition to a lot of other things. But for today's episode, guys, we're going to be digging much deeper into what's really going on in the country right now. And and right from the jump, I just want to say, I don't presume to have any special, you know, behind the scenes knowledge of things that are going on in the country. I'm just reading the tea leaves because a lot of things that are going on around us, they're supremely obvious. Some, some other things you need to kind of read through points into what's happening, but it is pretty obvious what's happening in a lot of these cases. And again, this isn't a complete recounting of race in America or even of our current situation. Uh, to remind you from the last episode, there's a lot of little side topics inside things that I could discuss, but to try to keep this to a decently digestible amount of content in one sitting, I'm not going to be able to go into all those things. But guys, if you stick with me through the end of the show or really towards the end of the show, I'll tell you exactly what I think is really going on in this situation right now in the United States. But to go and launch in for today, we obviously saw the immediate reaction after the death of George Floyd. There was rioting, looting, and you know what some people like to call peaceful protesting. So essentially thugs of, of all races, shapes, and sizes participated. And just quick sidebar, sidebar on the word thugs. The interesting thing to me is when certain people use the word thug, there are other people that get offended at the use of that word because they think it only applies to black people. It's so funny to me. Because I grew up around thugs of all kinds. Something I didn't really talk about my upbringing in Lawton is we were surrounded by thugs. There's a tremendous gang problem whenever I was living there. And in the, you know, almost 15 years or so since I left there, there, there's just been a gang problem in that city. But it's not just gang members of a certain color. I mean, I grew up around white thugs, black thugs, Asian thugs, Latino thugs. I grew up around thugs. I had a lot of friends that were thugs that would even call themselves thugs. But the thing is, is just spare me the claim that the, that using the word thug is racist. I know as as soon as I said the word thug, some of you went, Oh gosh, you're not supposed to say that anymore. But the thing is, is a lot of these people that are offended by the use of the word thug, a lot of their favorite rappers even have the word thug in their own name, young thug, you know, things like that. They talk about being a thug all the time in their music. And perhaps we'll talk more about hip hop music, uh, maybe at a later date. But essentially, after the George Floyd killing, thugs of all races basically took to the streets and, you know, started doing their thing. Black Lives Matter, which we'll talk a lot more about later in Antifa, which we won't talk much more about. And really other anarchist, terrorist, agitator type organizations jumped in to increase the destruction that we were seeing around the country. Um, You know, there were a lot of buildings that were destroyed. A lot of things were set on fire. You know, these were businesses that are national chains. There were mom and pop businesses that were destroyed. A lot of innocent people were killed certainly more innocent people than have been killed by cops this year. Um, I mean, businesses and subsequently the life savings of many business owners were basically set ablaze and, and the police weren't there to stop it. National guard wasn't sent in in a lot of these areas to protect these businesses. They just kind of lost out. And some people are like, Oh, but they have insurance that doesn't work out in every situation, guys. It just doesn't. I mean, my wife, uh, we own some photography studios here in the Oklahoma city area and some peaceful protesters decided that they would bust out our windows and break our doors down. Well, those situations don't just work themselves out, guys, and it it creates issues inside your business. And here's the thing. How many of these businesses 
that survived the COVID lockdowns, which I know there's some more lockdowns that are happening, but they initially survived those initial lockdowns that were just crushing businesses all over the country. Think about those businesses that survived by the skin of their teeth. You know, they dug into savings, you know, they, they furloughed some employees, whatever the situation was only to go out of business because of the forced curfews and the riots, which the riots are what caused the forced curfews in a lot of these major cities. Just think about that, the residual damage of something like that. But people, especially the media, they were saying that these protests were largely peaceful and they kept using the word protest because they were wanting to invoke the images of Martin Luther King and, you know, the, the civil liberty uh, you know, that was basically part of uh, the civil rights movement back in the 60s. Uh, and the thing is, though, is when they said that these things are largely peaceful, they're being super disingenuous or they're being purposefully blind one or the other. I don't know really which one is worse, but you saw the media constantly cover this because we're still in an age of COVID. But for a couple of months there, people just kind of forgot about that because COVID-19 was a huge deal and it was going to kill everyone. It was going to take out grandma and, you know, all these things. But if you're protesting with Black Lives Matter, then COVID-19 doesn't exist, apparently in the media's mind. And then when everyone kind of stops rioting and then there's these uptick in cases, people are just blaming it on Republican governors, which is so interesting. But this is not a COVID-19 podcast. But, you know, a lot of the same medical experts that were saying that we had to stay social distance, we had to wear a mask, you know, we had to stay away from old people and, and people that were sickly. You know, these were the same people that came out and said that this all applies unless you're protest- protesting racism with Black Lives Matter. So, I mean, there's a lot of hay that's been made about white privilege. Is that not woke privilege? If you pretend to be woke, all of a sudden, like diseases can infect you. Viruses can enter your system. And just as a little sidebar, because I've spent so much time thinking about this. Remember all the the nonsense that was made over the the actual peaceful protests, like at the Michigan State House, you know, whenever uh, before the George Floyd killing, when everyone was just freaking about out about COVID and the governor of Michigan was basically shutting everything down, couldn't ride your boat, couldn't go to your second house, couldn't buy seeds at Walmart, those types of things. A lot of these uh, individuals that were against that, these more libertarian-leaning, you know, uh, liberty-type folk, they were peacefully protesting in the Michigan State House. And these people were called white supremacists and called Nazis, and oh my gosh, they're wearing guns, and is this an overthrow of the government? It's like, no, this is just a group of people that want to show you, you can't treat them like that. But you wouldn't know that from watching the news. And the thing is, is we've seen so many different things change in terms of how we look at the world because 2020 has has thrown the world completely upside down because welcome to 2020 where you can't attend a church service, but you can burn a church down and be considered virtuous, right? The police kind of need to give them space to just, you know, blow off a little bit of steam. Even this last weekend, there were a lot of Catholic churches that were burned down, right? There's been synagogues that have been burned down right? I haven't heard of any mosques, but you know, let's assume that those are being targeted as well. You can't attend those places, but you can burn them to the ground. Okay. You know, again, welcome to 2020. But the thing is, is, and you might think that I'm not going to draw this delineation here. I did in the last episode, but in case you missed it, I honestly do feel bad for the people that are actually trying to peacefully protest because there certainly are thousands, if not tens of thousands of those people, uh, maybe even more than that, that are just actually trying to peacefully protest. Except for the fact that the people that are peacefully protesting, they're protesting against things that aren't real in most cases. You know, they're saying things like, you know, again, George Floyd didn't die because of racism, but they're saying he did. Uh, You know, there's no such thing as systemic racism, but they're saying that, that there is. They're saying that, you know, the United States is a racist country when it's not. These are all just tropes that people put on signs and start marching around. And I guess this is going to be the sidebar episode because another thing that's super annoying to me, and I don't care what your political position is, is when you put 
signs in the hands of children and have them walk around. And these kids can't barely read what's on the sign, much less understand what they're co-signing by literally carrying that sign around. No, no pun intended, but don't do that. Right. If, even if you're like anti-abortion, those don't send your four-year-old out there holding up a sign with a dead baby on it. Like we get the optics, but I mean, they, they can't, they can't reason with that decision themselves. So, so please stop doing that. But the thing about it is, is that was so interesting in watching all the reactions to the, the marches and the riots is that people's reactions were really falling right, right along party lines, right? You know, a lot of conservatives thought that it was ridiculous and terrible. We need law and order. A lot of liberals were like, this is great. This is moving the needle. But the thing about it was, is the celebrities, which are almost all completely of the left of the more liberal side, they were all very quick to give their woke support to what was going on you know, saying that they would kind of get together and, you know, help these people that were being arrested at the riots, you know, pay their bail. And I mean, these are people that are rioting, looting, setting things on fire, hurting people, killing people. And they're like, ah, we'll pay for your bail. And really, you should really reconsider supporting any celebrity or business. This is just my opinion. This is kind of what I've done. You should really reconsider supporting these folks that have come out in support of these rioters. You know, these aren't morally neutral things that these people are doing. Right. And then you pretty much had every prominent black athlete come out in support of all this, these, these woke movements. And the thing is, is I see the reactions of many athletes, you know, typically black athletes as very disingenuous because these are people that come out in the media, especially during times like this. And they seem, or they, they say that they're incredibly skeptical of white people, especially white people in authority roles and, you know, white people with money, you know, even, or even just like police officers, white people in authority, but then they seem all too eager to cash the checks of white authority figures, you know, white bosses, white, you know, uh, team owners or business owners, you know, they seem all too excited to take those people's money to play a sport. Why is that? That's just so interesting to me. You might chew on that a little bit. And then you've got, you know, you know, these people that have kind of become fodder for both sides. You got a guy like Drew Brees, who was almost a hero because he basically came out and said, no, I'm not going to kneel for the national anthem. The national anthem is not racist. You know, my uh, grandfather or great grandfather fought in World War II, but now he's a man without a side because he said things that were perfectly reasonable, like, you know, kneeling for the national anthem is disrespectful. And, you know, the national anthem isn't representative of, I don't, Drew Brees didn't even say this, but there are people that pretend that the national anthem is an anthem of police brutality and, and those types of things. Because the thing with Drew Brees now is he apologized. He apologized to the mob, which you can never do, which we'll talk a lot more about later. But the thing is, is now he's not woke enough for the social justice warriors and he never will be. And now he's not patriotic enough for the Patriots. And I don't mean the Patriots, the team, just the Patriots of the United States, right? He's just a man without a side now because he tried to appease everybody. He tried to save his, you know, announcing job that he's going to have after he finally retires. And then another quick side note, you have, you know, these prominent athletes like LeBron James, who will come out and say everything that he needs to say in order to be woke, but he doesn't actually want to throw any skin in the game. And the thing is, is like, I don't take someone seriously that calls out injustice in the United States, but has glowing things to say about China, right? LeBron James is unbelievably absent in terms of the things that he will say about what's going on in China, in terms of Hong Kong. Because, you know, Space Jam 2 is going to come out in a year or two and he wants the Chinese, you know, market to embrace that movie and he needs to sell a bunch of his ugly shoes. And, you know, that's the situation. The thing is, you know, he came out in support of Adrian Wojnarowski, you know, the, the NBA insider who told a, a sitting United States senator, Republican senator, F you, but he, he actually said it because that senator had the gall to basically push back on the NBA and say, hey, guys, I, I don't really going to take you seriously on all this equality stuff you're trying to do. You know, having these woke messages that players can put on the back of their jersey 
Black Lives Matter, equality, no, no justice, no peace, whatever the thing is. And then you won't let a player say free Hong Kong. You won't let a player, you know, even say anything that's even critical of China because that's a huge market for you where you make a lot of money. There's just a lot of, a lot of disingenuous parts of, of what people are saying and doing. And the other thing here, again, sidebar episode, one more sidebar before we get more into the episode uh, protection or the stuff that we're going to be doing today is this is a sidebar about protecting yourselves. If we saw anything over the weeks where the, the rioting was really at full tilt is the rioting and looting should have proved something to you. I mean, you really need to hear these words that I'm about to say. Don't outsource your personal protection to the government. Don't do that. Because your overlords in the government can't, and in some cases, won't keep you safe. I mean, what, what is it? The, the statistic constantly changes, but like the average response time of a police officer in the United States is somewhere around seven minutes. And there are some places where it is considerably longer than that. And the thing is, guys, is if someone's breaking in the back door, you don't have minutes. You have seconds. And, and so I'm going to encourage you outright here early in this podcast, buy guns, buy ammunition, train to be deadly with all of your weapon systems. Just do it. Vote out every single mayor that allowed their cities to burn, that, that told police to stand down, vote out every single governor that allowed all this to go on. But the thing is, guys, is we, we do have to be you know, cognizant of what's happening right now. And this is a huge topic for another day because there's a dangerous precedent that is being set. Because I don't know if you followed the story about that couple in St. Louis, but there was that older couple in St. Louis that uh, Antifa and Black Lives Matter broke into their gated neighborhood, right? You know, these huge, gorgeous houses that they bought this old historic house in St. Louis and they'd spent, you know, their, you know, three decades basically remodeling this place to, to keep it up. And these people were coming for the house and they were coming for these people. And so the husband comes out, you know, he's got no shoes on, but he's standing on his front porch and he's got a rifle. He's not pointing at anybody and he's showing good trigger discipline and he doesn't have his you know, finger in the trigger guard. Uh, but then his wife is kind of sitting out there kind of nonchalantly holding a pistol in front of her with her arm bent and her, her finger is in the trigger guard. And it's like, okay, you know, not real good trigger control there, but they were basically protecting themselves, telling the rioters to go away. The rioters are screaming at them, saying that they're going to kill them, that they're going to kill their dog, that they're going to burn the house down. It was uh, Mark and Patricia McCloskey. But the thing about it is, is, and here's the dangerous precedent, is just over the weekend, there was a warrant that was uh, enacted, a search warrant that was issued for the guns that they used. Now, the pistol apparently that the wife was using is in the possession of their lawyer, but they actually confiscated this guy's rifle. The rifle that he used to protect his life, the life of his animal, and his home, his property. And there's rumors floating around that this couple might be indicted. This couple was sitting on their back porch, eating dinner, when a mob hell-bent on burning their house down at minimum or burning their house down and killing them at maximum, they defended themselves and now they might be prosecuted for it. And the thing that's so so interesting and, and almost funny, but like in a, in a Greek tragedy kind of a way, is that these people are leftists. Mark and Patricia McCloskey, they're, they're lifelong Democrats. And Mark is a high-power attorney. He's actually in the process right now of defending a black person who feels like he was wrongly you know, uh, treated by the cops. I mean, just think about that. These people are the least Fox Newsy, the least Daily Wirey, the least, uh, you know, Infowarsy people on planet Earth, and they got caught up in this. So, so again, guys, you know, again, just a little sidebar, we'll, we'll get back on, on the interstate here, but please, please do not outsource your personal protection to the government. They're not going to be there for you. 
But one thing that we've seen in all of this to, to transition out is that we've seen some changes in virtue signaling. You know, virtue signaling, I've done an entire podcast episode on that on in terms of like basically pointing out yourself, saying how great you are by doing the things that you're doing. We've seen a new virtue signaling happen and it's the ultimate virtue signaling. It's this, it's being anti-racist, okay? So here are the things we know. It's clearly wrong to be racist, but now it's apparently clearly wrong to only be not racist. You now have to be loudly and boldly anti-racist or surprise, surprise, you're a racist. Now guys, the reason why I said all that slowly is because it's that stupid. Because if I said it in a normal voice, in a normal cadence, you would have been like, what, what did he say? And you probably would have went forward with it. But again, that's what we're seeing now. So apparently we've moved into the speech is violence and non-speech is violence world. Okay. So those are the, that's the world we live in now. But the thing is, is you need to kind of understand, you know, the how to, of how can you show that you're anti-racist? Cause it's, it's not good enough for you just to say, no, Hey, I'm, I'm not racist. Like I'm not down with, you know, Ku Klux Klan or, or, you know, white supremacy. I'm not down with any of those ideologies. You have to be more than that. Okay. You have to post a black square on Instagram or Facebook. And you know, here's the thing is posting a black box on, on Instagram or Facebook that stops racism. I mean, clearly it so clearly does that. Right. But the, obviously I'm being sarcastic, but it's like, so if you post a black square, you're not a racist. And if you don't, you are a racist. Like that's how this is going now. Cause spoiler alert guys on none of my social medias, personal or within the ministry, did I post a black square on blackout Tuesday? Number one reason is because I don't like to do things that everyone's doing just as a general rule. But as we'll talk about here a little bit later is when you post that black box, and you post the hashtag black lives matter, you're saying a whole lot more than what you think you're saying. And that's the thing guys is the, if you missed out on blackout Tuesday, you didn't post a black square, you have to hurry up. And no matter what you do, you have to make sure you post something that sounds super woke. And then you'll get a lot of, a lot of likes and a lot of retweets. Uh, and if that doesn't work, just join the nearest riot and then show you, show yourself taking a, a selfie, uh, while you've got your face covered so that you can be like, you know, COVID, uh, applicable or whatever the situation is, you know, all the things that, that can be wrapped up in that one little situation. Right. But again, that's, that's kind of where the, the world has moved to is you can't just say, Hey, I'm not racist. You can't just not be racist in your heart. You have to be anti-racist. It's kind of this forced speech and forced actions that is very, very incumbent on this type of situation that you need to have in order to operate with this worldview. So the thing is, is when you think about the rioting and the looting, you have to ask yourself, is why did the the rioting and looting actually start? And then why did it continue? You know, why wasn't this a 24 hour thing? And then everybody went back to work and, you know, probably because a lot of these people don't have jobs, but at the same time, it's like, why did this keep happening? Why is it still happening now in certain areas? And so I've got some, some different thoughts on that. The first is that the COVID-19 lockdowns, they led to this tremendous amount of pent up angst and, and energy and boredom and rioting and looting was just the perfect outlet. I mean, you've been sitting in your house with your family or by yourself and you've been playing video games, the same video games, and you've been watching movies, the same movies. And then all of a sudden there's this big thing that happens and people are taken to the streets and they're not scared of the virus anymore. And you know, all of a sudden you're not scared of the virus anymore because you got to go out there and you got to do justice. And then, you know, someone puts a brick in your hand or a Molotov cocktail and then it's like, oh, okay, well now you're able to release this pent up anger and aggression. And, And another reason is guys, people just like to steal stuff. And people just like to break stuff. I mean, all of you guys out there have probably broken something before. You regretted it later, but at the moment you're like, okay, that felt pretty good. 
right? That, that felt pretty good to smash that PlayStation controller or, you know, throw something through that window in the junkyard, whatever the situation might've been. And that's just kind of like what people like to do because they're bored and they want to do that. Another reason why the, the rioting and looting started and continued is that you can't ever let a good crisis go to waste. Because organizations like Black Lives Matter, which we're about to talk a whole lot about, they were ready to pounce. You know, they're always ready to pounce. And this gave them the opportunity to do that. Antifa, another organization that we're not going to talk a whole lot about because even their name is ridiculous because they're using fascism in, in order to be anti-fascist. But they're always ready to pounce. And in this situation with George Floyd gave them the opportunity to do what they want to do, which is to basically destroy the country. But the thing about it, guys, is anarchy is, isn't always spontaneous. A lot of times it's coordinated. Okay. So why do these riots happen and why do they continue? And some of this is going to sound, you know, a little bit like tinfoil hat stuff, but, but it's true. There are people like George Soros who spend millions and millions of dollars of their own personal wealth in order to sow seeds of discord and to destroy the system, right? They want to see the system fall. They want to see it ablaze because there were so many things that happened that didn't really go, you know, they, they weren't even mass produced and, and blasted out in, in, in the news, even in like conservative circles, but there were like pallets of bricks that would just show up in a lot of these cities. Because that's one thing that I've always wondered is there are people that are running around like downtown Seattle and downtown, you know, Dallas and downtown New York and Chicago and Minneapolis and all the Atlanta and all these other places. And they're throwing bricks through windows. And I'm thinking to myself, I've never seen a Lowe's or like a lumber yard or something like that in any of these downtown areas. Like, did these people come with bricks in their backpack? Like, can their, can the straps of their backpack even hold bricks? But then there were people that were taking videos that were like buried on Twitter of these pallets of bricks that were like delivered to different strategic locations in these major cities. Obviously, so people could just come by, grab a few bricks, and then they throw it through the next windows that they see. How do you think the bricks got there? Is it possible that this was coordinated in a, in a large way? And again, I know this sounds like conspiracy theorists and I understand that, but where do those pallets come from? Where are these people getting this money to, to show up in cities? These are people without jobs, without money that are driving across the country to go blow crap up and set stuff on fire. Where did the people get the gas money? There's money flowing inside these organizations. And the other reason why these, these really, uh, these riots and looting has continued to happen is because this is ultimately very, very bad for president Donald Trump. This is terrible for Donald Trump because here's the thing is Americans, we don't like ambiguity, right? And we, we don't like things to feel unstable. We don't like chaos. And the thing is, is COVID-19 seems incredibly chaotic. And if you can exploit that, whether you're the media or a, or a Democrat or something like that, basically whoever's opposite the party in power, you need to exploit that. These riots seem very, very chaotic and you need to be able to exploit that because the thing is, is law and order should be a, a huge winning issue for Trump, but Trump is tanking in the polls over the last several months. You know, he's kind of doing okay with the COVID stuff. And then when the George Floyd stuff and all the Black Lives Matter stuff went crazy, he's been tanking. The, the, the odds of him winning the election now, guys, I know there's a lot of Trump people that listen to this podcast. And this is going to make you just absolutely terrified or angry at me or whatever the situation is. The odds of him winning now are incredibly slim. He's going up against a half dead person in Joe Biden. And the odds of him beating Joe Biden this fall are incredibly, incredibly slim. And these riots aren't doing him any favors because he is a law and order type candidate. But tweeting the words law and order on Twitter isn't enough. We're just not seeing this order that needs to be seen. 
because here's the thing, guys, is if you're blaming Trump for all this, is there people that are blaming Trump for the death of George Floyd? It's like, come on, show me the receipt. Show me something that that shows that he's propagating this white supremacist nonsense inside the United States, which is emboldening white cops to kill black people. It's nonsense. But the thing is, is Trump is Satan, no matter what he says or does. So he may as well he may as well be tough. He may as well be tough on crime and tough on people. But you know, that's another reason why this is continuing to go is because with every day and with every building that's set ablaze, it's actually better for Trump. And the kind of the last thing here in terms of why these uh, riots are happening and why it's continuing is continuing this wave of destructive momentum will ultimately serve the purpose of the people that are doing the destroying. Okay. And we'll get a whole lot more into that later because now we need to go ahead and it took us about a half hour to get there, but we need to go ahead and talk about black lives matter because the thing is, is there is a massive difference between black lives matter, the organization slash movement, right? And black lives matter, the sentence massive difference. Okay. Cause here's the thing about black lives matter. The sentence, here's the thing. Let's do a thought experiment. So let's go back 10 years. The year is 2010 and you're just talking to a friend and you say the sentence black lives matter. Now your friend, assuming he's a sane person and not, you know, the grand wizard of the KKK and doesn't have like SS thunderbolts, you know, tattooed in between his eyeballs or something like that. He would simply respond. Well, yeah, duh. Like obviously of course, black lives matter. Because every human being on the planet with a functioning prefrontal cortex would agree with that statement. There's like 14 dorks that, that don't agree with that statement that are actual real white supremacists, right? These, it's not the president. It's not the cabinet. It's not any of these people. Everyone pretty much agrees with that, that black lives matter. But the problem is, is that if you say the sentence black lives matter, you are now in 2020 in our current context, co-signing for a lot of things that you likely don't agree with. You're also co-signing for the tactics that are being used by Black Lives Matter, the organization, to get their message across. And and a lot of these tactics are are violent, revolutionary. It's these tactics that you would never go with. The Guys, here's the thing is Black Lives Matter. I'm using air quotes here by myself in the studio. It's not a neutral sentence anymore. That sentence has now been co-opted and we can't ignore what saying that sentence now means. Cause, cause you'll hear morons say things like, you know, I don't support the riots, but uh, I support their message. What message exactly? I mean, can you tell me, you know, what is Antifa's message? What is black lives Matter's message? What's the message? Cause I'll get people that'll say these things all the time. Cause I'll get into discussions with people and I try to have well-meaning discussions and I'll, they'll just say, you know what, Kyle, you just don't get it. And I'm like, great. Explain it to me. W- what is the it that I'm not getting? And they never can seem to do it. Oh, I don't support the riots. I don't support burning stuff, but I support their message. What's the message? Do you know what the message is? Oh, their message is that black lives matter, except it's not because black lives matter is an organization. And that organization believes things and it stands by those beliefs. So let's dig into that. And here's the thing about the, these organizations. And here's the thing about any organization or any person. We should like to hear from them directly, right? Because I don't like when somebody reads something and then tells me what it's supposed to mean when I can clearly read it and surmise the meaning myself. So what I'm going to do is we're going to read directly from the Black Lives Matter website. Okay. I'm going to read stuff verbatim and, and I'll try to you know help you delineate whenever I'm using the words that they're using versus using my opinion or going into my analysis. But I'm going to read directly from the why they exist part of their website. So this is blacklivesmatter.com. I'll put the, you know, if you can't remember that URL, I'll put it in the show notes here, but this is why they exist. 
Hashtag Black Lives Matter was founded in 2013 in response to the acquittal of Trayvon Martin's murder. Black Lives Matter Foundation Incorporated is a global organization in the United States, United Kingdom, and Canada whose mission is to eradicate white supremacy and build local power to intervene in violence inflicted on black communities by the state and vigilantes. By combating and counteracting acts of violence, creating space for black imagination and innovation, and centering black joy, we are winning immediate improvements in our lives. That's why they exist. Okay? But they don't stop there. They get more specific, which I highly appreciate. Okay? They have a section on their website called What We Believe section. Okay? And guys, I can't go over all the things that are on that part of the website. It's fairly extensive. So I'll just kind of give you a summary of what it says in certain sections. Okay? So here's one of the things that they believe. They think that law enforcement is hunting down and killing black people. So this is word for word from their website. Quote, Black Lives Matter began as a call to action in response to a state-sanctioned violence and anti-black racism. Our intention from the very beginning was to connect black people from all over the world who have a shared desire for justice to act together in their communities. The impetus for that commitment was and still is the rampant and deliberate violence inflicted on us by the state. Unquote. So, These people have bought into the lie. They bought into the narrative that the state police officers are hunting down and killing black people. The problem is, is statistics are not on their side. Reality is not on their side, but that's what they believe. Another thing that they believe, they see everything as a race issue, which is by definition racist, but they see everything as a race issue. So this is from their their website here. Quote, we are unapologetically black in our positioning. In affirming that Black Lives Matter, we need not qualify our position. To love and desire freedom and justice for ourselves is a prerequisite for wanting the same for others, unquote. So, their positioning and the way that they view the world is through the lens of a black person, of the black community, whatever that means, right? They don't believe in individuals. They believe in communities. They believe in groups. They believe in intersectionality. They believe in all these defining characteristics, right? And, you know, ones like race, which you don't even get to choose, right? Unless you're Rachel Dolezal, which you can choose and then not choose it. Anyway, don't, I'm not going to go on another sidebar. Not yet. But that's the thing is they believe that race is in everything. Race permeates everything. The next thing that they believe is they're LGBTQ plus, you know, and illegal immigration supporters across the board. So quote, We are guided by the fact that all Black Lives Matter, regardless of actual or perceived sexual identity, gender identity, gender expression, economic status, ability, disability, religious beliefs or disbeliefs, immigration status, or location. So that might just seem like a a just random list that they're just kind of listing out there just for everybody to pay attention. But again, they're saying that they're in complete support of all LGBTQ plus issues and illegal immigration. Okay. The next thing that they believe, they believe that you are, if you're a cisgender, that you are privileged. So if you don't know what cisgender is, because that's a made up word about a made up thing, but basically cisgender means that you identify with the race that you, that matches your biology. That's what being cisgender is. Okay. This is from their website. Quote, we are self-reflexive and do the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege and uplift black trans folks, black trans folks, especially black trans women who continue to be disproportionately impacted by trans antagonistic violence, right guys? Cause you've heard about these waves of violence against black men who dress up as women. You've heard about that, right? So that's something they believe. Next thing here, they're against the traditional family structure. Okay. Directly from their website, quote, we disrupt, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable, unquote. 
Now, why in the world would they be against the traditional family structure? Because not a, there's not a sociologist on the planet worth their salt that would disagree with the statement that the best situation for a child in the world is to be raised in their family or raised in a home where a mother and father are both present. Not a single mother, not a single father, not two gay dads, not two gay moms, not, not that. And it actually goes one step further. The best outcomes for children are typically in a household where mother and father are present and they worship God together. Isn't that interesting? It's almost like that was the plan from the beginning. Almost as if there was some sort of cosmic creator that wanted that to be the case. But Black Lives Matter is against that. Next thing that they're against is they have issues with being or thinking as a heterosexual, right? So from their website, quote, we foster a queer affirming network, whatever that is. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking, or rather the belief that all in the world are heterosexual, unless she or he or they, got to use those pronouns, disclose otherwise, unquote. So if you're heteronormative, there's something wrong with your thinking to a certain degree. And, and they don't want to be that way. They don't want to disclude anybody in those things. And guys, there, there's much, much more, and you can just kind of read it for yourself. But the thing about Black Lives Matter is those are, those are straight up their beliefs. And again, I, I agree with people. If they say, this is what I believe, I'm just going to take them at their word. But not surprisingly, the founders of Black Lives Matter are trained Marxists. Trained Marxists. And guys, don't just take my word for it. They said it themselves. So two of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter are Alicia Garza and Patrice Cullors. And so Cullors actually was quoted in an interview recently saying this, quote, we are trained Marxists. We are super versed on sort of ideological theories. And I think that what we really tried to do is build a movement that could be utilized by many, many black folk, unquote. Okay. And also probably not surprisingly, Cullors, who's 36, uh, was also the protege of Eric Mann. And he was a former agitator that was part of the Weather Underground. They, they were the domestic terrorist organization that had direct ties to Barack Obama. Remember them? You know, they tried to blow up a bunch of things in the United States. You know, Eric Mann, like she was his protege. And, and guys, this is all steeped and, you know, just dripping with Marxism. And we'll certainly get more into Marx here in just a second. But again, when Black Lives Matter is, is saying things, again, they've got this stuff that's explicitly on their website, but then it's the stuff that they say that they support at their rallies. There, there are a lot of other things that are going on that they say that they support. So this is not just about black lives. This is not just about police brutality. It's about much more. Here are other things that they've said. Uh, they want a socialist takeover of our economy. They support every part of the Green New Deal, right? Which basically completely turns over the country to only quote unquote sustainable energy. Uh, they want to enact hate speech laws, which hate speech is just basically any speech that they don't like. They want complete open borders immigration. They want reparations for all black Americans, even if they weren't descendants of slaves. They want to abolish the Second Amendment. They want to abolish the prison system. They want to abolish law enforcement. Uh, they advocate uh, violence towards law enforcement. And they've also just said they will literally do anything to get Donald Trump out of office, no matter the cost. These are all things that they have said that they want to do. These are all things that they say that they stand for. These are all things that the people that sign on to what they're saying are agreeing to. But the thing that I would ask Black Lives Matter, if these people would ever talk to me, which certainly they would never do so, because, you know, I would directly challenge the things that they think. My question to them and their supporters is this, where is the freest, safest, most prosperous place for a black person on planet Earth? 
Name me a country. Just, just name me one. The freest, the safest, most prosperous. Because if you answer anywhere other than the United States of America, you're not being intellectually honest. It's not even close. Again, we are the freest country in the world right now, right? Because of our constitution. It's an incredibly safe place to grow up if you're black, regardless of what the media tells you. You know, like, you know, there's literally a cop waiting outside your door ready to hunt you down and shoot you. And there's nowhere where you can be more prosperous than in this country, just in total. But the thing is, is they would never say those things because that, that doesn't support the narrative. So, so guys, what's the point in me describing everything about Black Lives Matter to kind of give you a better, deeper dive into their you know, ideology? And the point is this, saying, quote, Black Lives Matter, unquote, or, or posting something with hashtag Black Lives Matter, it isn't neutral. It, not in the slightest. It carries a lot of things with it. A lot of things with it. Don't just, don't be dumb. Guys, like just open up your eyes. Black Lives Matter is a Trojan horse. Saying Black Lives Matter is a Trojan horse. It's not a neutral thing. You just innocently post it on Instagram and move on with your day. You have to think about what all you're co-signing because there's a lot of things that you probably don't realize are stuck in there. But then the next thing I want to talk about here is there's been a lot of hay that's been made about saying Black Lives Matter versus saying all lives matter. Okay. There's this argument out there, and and my wife was the first one to tell me this, is that, you know, when you say all lives matter, when someone says black lives matter, it'd be like being at a breast cancer awareness diner or or dinner, you know, something like that to raise money and getting up on the microphone and saying prostate cancer matters too. And I remember when I heard that argument, I was like, that actually makes sense. So someone's saying black lives matter, you say all lives matter. It's like, man, it's just, you know, it's kind of going the other direction. But then I thought about it a little bit further and it's really not that good of a point. You know, a better way of saying it would be if someone said cancer matters and you said, yeah, specifically prostate cancer matters. And then they scream at you for being evil. If someone says black lives matter and you say all lives matter, that automatically brands you as a racist and you automatically hate black people. There are people that are losing their jobs. They're getting fired. They're, they're getting canceled because they're saying all lives matter. There was some, you know, sports guy in like California, Sacramento or something like that, that got fired from his job because I think he tweeted that all lives matter which is a sentence. It's not a movement. There's no organization called All Lives Matter that has this list of highly ridiculous things that they believe. It's just a sentence. So when you're looking at the sentence, Black Lives Matter, and the sentence, All Lives Matter, we should all be able to co-sign and agree with those things, right? But the thing that I'm having a lot of hard time understanding is that people are really fighting, the people in the Black Lives Matter movement, they're fighting the statement all black lives matter. For some reason, they don't like it when you change what they want to say and put the word all in front of it and say that all black lives matter. Because the interesting thing about the black lives matter website is when you look at their website, it says all black lives matter all over the website in a lot of different areas. But the reality is that they really don't. All black lives do not matter to them. There was a, a recent interview with Don Lemon from CNN and Terry Crews, uh, the actor. And Terry Crews was basically saying that all black lives matter. Like, why can't we say all black lives matter, including those killed in vain, gang violence by other blacks and things like that? And Don Lemon's response was so ridiculous and so crazy. He basically said to Terry Crews, look, if you want to start an organization called All Black Lives Matter and talk about all those other things, go ahead and do it. But Black Lives Matter is about police brutality and shining a light on police brutality all over the country. So you can't say all black lives matter. Terry Crews, for those of you that don't know, is a black man. 
Don Lemon, a black man, is lecturing another black man saying him, hey man, all black lives don't matter. Because here's a lot of questions that you have to answer if you start saying things like all black lives matter. So if black lives matter, all of them, do the lives of the blacks that have been killed in these riots after the death of George Floyd, do those matter? What about David Dorn? David Dorn was the, the retired police chief. I think he was 70 years old. He was defending one of his friend's businesses. He was shot in St. Louis, killed. Does his black life matter? If all black lives matter or just black lives matter in general, do the thousands of black lives that are saved by police officers every year matter? Do those matter at all? If black lives matter, do the lives of the blacks killed on the south side of Chicago every damn weekend matter? Do those matter? Here, we're going to play a fun game for you, all you racial advocates out there, all of you race hustlers. Name me one black person, just one black person that was murdered by another black person in Chicago this year. Just one. Go ahead. Can you name one? Because just a few days ago, it was reported over the weekend that another couple of dozen black people in Chicago were killed. What are their names? You can't give me their name, can you? So, guys, spare me this nonsense about how black men are being hunted down by the cops and that's the epidemic that we need to be fighting. Right? Spare me. And, and guys, if you're a leftist and somehow you're still listening to this, this next thought is going to make your head explode. It's going to make you go absolutely nuts, but I swear to goodness, you need to hear it. Okay? Because we hear all about these, these evil groups of people, especially white racist cops that are the most dangerous types of people for black men in America. But I'm going to tell you the two most dangerous types of people for black men in America in order. Number one, abortionists. Number two, other black men. Abortionists and other black men. First, let's go into the abortionists. Around 35, or 35% of the babies killed in the United States every year by abortion are black. There are around a million abortions every single year. Hundreds of thousands of black babies are being slaughtered by woke leftist doctors. And if, if you don't like the fact that I, I called abortion doctors leftists, find me a conservative abortion doctor. Go ahead and find me one. And you've probably heard this statistic before. In the state of New York, more black babies are killed than are born. They are killed by abortion than are born. That is insane. There are so many black people that live in the state of New York. But more of their children are killed before they have the chance at life outside the womb. Here's another stat that blew my mind. Around 35% of the mothers in the United States that get an abortion are black. Even though only around 15% of women of childbearing age are black. So you want to talk to me about this epidemic, about black lives being slaughtered mercilessly, right? Let's talk about abortionists. And then let's talk about this subject, which, oh gosh, if this is probably going to get me canceled. Other black men. Here's the thing. Here's the reality. Black men make up about six and a half percent of the total United States population, about six and a half percent. But black men are responsible for over 50 percent of the murders in the United States. And close to 100% of those murders are being committed against other blacks. 
intra-racial violence. Here's the thing that people don't realize. That is the most common violence in the United States. It's white people beating up and killing white people. It's black people kill, killing and beating up black people. It's Asians beating up and killing Asians. Intra-racial violence is the most common. And according to Heather McDonald, which we talked a lot about on the last episode, young black men commit homicide at nearly 10 times the rate of young white and Hispanic males in the United States combined. And here's another one. The, according to the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, homicide is just behind cancer, heart disease, and accidents in terms of the cause of death for black American males. But, but, homicide is now, listen to this, this is insane. Homicide is now the number one cause of death among African Americans between the ages of one and 44. So if you're a black person, a black male between the ages of one and four to 44, the number one leading cause of death, the number one thing coming for you is homicide. And almost 100% of those homicides are perpetrated by other black people. So again, this narrative that they're being hunted down by white law enforcement, again, I'll remind you, nine unarmed black men were killed by police last year. Nine. And a lot of these guys weren't just sitting on the corner minding their own business. They, they weren't sitting at a picnic table reading the Bible. They weren't, you know, getting ice cream from the ice cream truck. A lot of these people were in the middle of committing crimes. Crimes that should not carry the death penalty, but crimes nonetheless. Nine. Around 350,000 black children were killed last year in abortions. And the number one reason for death for blacks between the age of one and 44 is homicide. So what's the point in in talking about all this, talking about black lives matter, talking about, you know, all black lives matter and, and all lives matter, all those things. The point is this, is you know why these groups, why black lives matter, the organization won't say all black lives matter. You know why they won't say that? Because to them, they don't, they simply do not matter. They only matter if they fit a narrative. So George Floyd is a name that we will remember forever because his name fits a narrative. Again, George Floyd should not be dead today. He should not be dead. Derek Chauvin killed him because he was reckless and dangerous. But we don't hear the names of any of the children that were killed over the weekend in Chicago. Any of the children that were killed over the weekend in Baltimore or New York or Kansas City. We don't hear about any of those deaths because they were killed by other black people. I can't remember if it was New York or Chicago, but a 22-month-old was shot at a family barbecue, shot in the stomach and died. Guys just walked up, started shooting the barbecue and then took off running and got in a getaway car. Do you know that girl's name? Do you know her name? If you don't, you should look it up. I'm going to talk about excruciating. Again, the only lives that matter to Black Lives Matters, Black Lives Matter, they're the ones that agree with their political agenda. This movement, this organization is so disingenuous. It is so fake. And it's here for another reason. And to transition to the next little section here, one of the first things that we heard Black Lives Matter and other activist groups and leftist democratic activist groups demand after the killing of George Floyd was defund the police. Now, now, why in the world would we want to defund the police? Why would we want to wage war against law enforcement, against cops individually? 
Why would we try to erase every media story or television show, even like Paw Patrol or Cops or any of those shows that just might show law enforcement in a positive light? Why would they want to do that? It's because if you can create a big enough rift between the cops and the general populace, that will emasculate law enforcement and cause the populace to look to Big Brother to protect them. To look at the government to say, don't, don't just provide for me. Also protect me. Keep me safe. Make me happy. Because you can't have people that are standing up for the law and standing up for justice if what you're trying to do is actually destroy the law and create your own justice. And guys, I know that sounds crazy. And I know that the first time you heard someone say defund the police, you're like, what? What a stupid thing. No, who wants to defund the police? And then cities around the country just started doing that. You know, Bill de Blasio, that moron up in New York City, started pulling money from NYPD, right? And, and you know, hundreds of cops started putting in their early retirement. You know, many, uh, Minneapolis uh, City Council, they, they basically came out and said they're going to defund their police department and do community policing, whatever the hell that means. But guys, I want you to remember the Overton window. I want, and if you don't know what that is, go back to episode 116 of this podcast. I talk about what the Overton window is, but the Overton window essentially is things that are okay for us to talk about. When they're inside this window, these are things that are acceptable, acceptable discourse for, for us to discuss as a people, right? Because the thing about it was, is gay marriage seemed completely insane not that long ago to even consider that we would allow homosexuals to get married and be recognized as a married couple in the United States seemed completely insane. Not that long ago, but it's worked its way into common culture. Now, even if you're a conservative politician, this is not a winning issue. You can't really talk about this, right? You know, children changing their gender, you know, saying at the age of three that, ah, you know, I have a penis, but I guess I'm a girl that seemed completely insane. Not that long ago, but that conversation has kind of worked its way into common culture. Again, 10 years ago, five years ago, that was insane to think. And now it's a discussion. Defunding the police and abolishing law enforcement seems completely insane right now to the majority of people in the United States. But how long until it won't sound that crazy? Again, this is part of the point. Because the point of all of this is to tear it down, to tear the system down. And what's to blame for that? Karl Marx. Marxism is to blame for that. So I'm going to transition to talking a little bit about Marxism now, because I realized in talking to some friends of mine that they don't know who Karl Marx is. They don't know what he's done. They don't know how he has irrevocably changed the world that we live in. So Karl Marx, he's a German philosopher, sociologist, political theorist, and a lot of other things. But most importantly, he's a radical socialist revolutionary. So this was a guy that lived in the 1800s. Um, his theories can all be wrapped up in the term Marxism, but I'll just go ahead and kind of give you Marxism in a nutshell. Basically, in a nutshell, socialism, good, capitalism, bad, right? You know, if, if you have ownership of things and you do things your way and, and you make profit, that's bad. But, you know, basically redistribute, redistributing wealth to other people that didn't earn it, that's good. Um, other things is that we should work towards a classless, flat society, right? A big thing about Marxism is there's a struggle between the owners of the means of production. Those were, those were the bourgeoisie, right? And then the, the providers of labor, which is the proletariat, that there's always this kind of dissonance between these two groups. Uh, essentially, the owners, the, the thought process anyway, is that the owners don't do anything except collect money. 
The the workers are the most important. Even though if not for the owners, those workers wouldn't even have jobs. They wouldn't even have the materials to put together the things that they're putting together, but that's not what they believe. Okay. Uh, we have to be a classless society. Other things about Marxism, uh, the state should own the means of production, which is uh, it's communism, which at the time, by the way, you know, there are people that say communism and socialism aren't the same thing. Well, during the life of Karl Marx, there weren't two different terms for that, right? It was just all basically communism. Um, the state also runs and controls credit, communication, transportation. They're in control of those things. Under Marxism, there's no such thing as private property. Everything is co-owned. There's no such thing as family inheritance. You can't pass wealth on to your children. Uh, it's a very anti-American thing. Obviously, the, a lot of things I'm describing to you should sound crazy if you're an American. Uh, it's utopian in nature. This is like, you know, in a perfect world, this is how human beings would, would act and, and we wouldn't have to enforce this. Um, it's atheistic, right? It's, it's a very pagan worldview. Uh, Doug Wilson, Pastor Doug Wilson, he said this. He said that, you know, a pagan worldview says that order will come from chaos. So in order to get the order that you want, you have to tear everything down, burn it, and then bury the ashes, essentially, right? It's, it's a very pagan worldview. But the key to Marxism is this, is that it requires revolution. It requires it outright. You know, and here's the thing about revolution. Revolution requires violence. You can't have an overthrow of something without there being violence. That, that's a pretty common thing. And the ideals of Karl Marx uh, those ideals undergirded uh, the creation of the Soviet Union, started with the Russian Revolution. Uh, it also went into Maoist China, you know, the Kims in North Korea, the Castros in Cuba, and certainly other countries. But here's the thing, guys, it's just those ones that I mentioned. If you're keeping score at home, those groups that I mentioned, Soviet Union, Maoist China, you know, North Korea, the Castros in Cuba, those groups have murdered over 100 million people. If you total them all up and their ideologies have enslaved hundreds of millions or more, maybe over a billion people have been enslaved by those ideologies that came from Karl Marx. Now he is most known for his pamphlet, the communist manifesto, which guys, I would encourage you to read it. It's nonsense, but you can get it for free just about anywhere. If you have an iPhone, you can basically look up communist manifesto and download it for free. Uh, his co-author is Friedrich Engels. But the last paragraph, the very, very last paragraph of this manifesto, which is, I don't know, 35, 40 pages long. Karl Marx makes an incredibly telling uh, statement, okay? He calls for the, quote, forcible overthrow of all existing social conditions, unquote. Let me say that again. The forcible overthrow of all existing social conditions, unquote. So guys, what that means is the forcible overthrow of freedom, family, liberty, religion, personal agency, personal responsibility, property, democracy, so on and so forth. And, and the reason is, is because guys, it has to be a forcible overthrow because no one gives up those things without a fight. You're not going to give up your family without fighting. You're not going to give up your, your belief in Jesus. You're not going to give up democracy. You wouldn't do that. But the thing is, in the United States, it's a little bit different because we got to sit back and watch what happened in the 20th century and see all the bloodshed that came from this ideology. But in order to have a revolution in the United States, and some of these things will sound familiar because they're happening, there's a lot of things that you need to do first. The first thing is you have to erase history. That, I mean, that's, that's just standard. Because we can learn a lot from history. And if we just pretend that history started from the moment you made these ridiculous Marxist suggestions, then everything's fine. 
because you won't be able to look back and see that it's failed at any point. So the first thing is that you, you've got to basically erase all the history of our founders, right? And just history in general. We can't look back on anything that happened in the 1700s and say that that was probably a good thing overall for the West and certainly for the people of the United States. Can't say that. You got to erase that. And again, to have a revolution in the United States, you have to tear down all the monuments to great people of the past because there's history tied to those things as well. Now, I remember uh, it was so interesting not that long ago. I remember people giving conservatives crap for basically saying, hey, shouldn't we have a discussion about these Confederate statues that you're tearing down? You know, and and people like people on the left were just saying, hey, you know, we just don't want these to be in public anymore. We want these to be in museums, right? Well, we, we're not going to take them away entirely. We're just going to put them in like a Civil War museum, right? But again, guys, the, the mob never stops. They, they never just stop at what they suggested because now they're trying to get things taken out of museums and they're, they're being successful with that. There have been things that have been moved to museums that now the left are saying the fact that that's even in existence is an affront to me and it's violent. So we got to get rid of it because guys, the revolution can never stop before it's reached total revolution, right? So they, they have to erase history in order to make that happen. And for me personally, I'm kind of from the Condoleezza Rice school of history and looking at history. It's if we look at those statues, let's learn something from them. Let's, let's not take them down. And I've told this story before about the gym at my college uh, around the track, the indoor track. There were pictures of uh, Lance Armstrong up around the track. And the thing was, as opposed to taking the picture down, they put a little, you know, and uh, they just put like a little plaque next to it that basically said, hey, he, you know, he tested positive for steroids. He, he ruined a lot of people's lives by doing this. You know, think about the consequences of your actions before you take performance enhancing drugs. There was also a picture of Marion Jones up and they put the same plaque next to her. Right. It's like Connelly's Rice believes, no, let's let's leave those things up so that we can remember them so that we can teach our children, you know, about the great things that some of these people did, but also some of the horrible things that they've done. But the thing about it is, guys, is you can describe history without honoring history. You know, a statue in and of itself is not on. It's not an honoring thing. It's just a thing thing. Right. For most people, because this idea that a statue of someone that's long dead, you know, that it would possibly celebrate the worst thing about that person is crazy. So people are talking about, you know, the statues and murals of Thomas Jefferson and George Washington or any other slave owner from the past. But the thing about it is, is, is those statues or those paintings or whatever, they're not meant to be celebrations of the, the worst things that those guys did, right? And I think we should talk about those horrible things because here's something that many, many of you don't know. Martin Luther King Jr., he was a horrible person with women. He cheated on his wife constantly, and there might even be evidence that he raped women, right? Uh, you know, there's a conspiracy theory that the FBI is covering it up. But I don't think we should tear down his monuments and get rid of his holiday and get rid of all the streets named after him. Mahatma Gandhi, you know, you know the, the most famous pacifist in the history of pacifists, right? He beat up his wife and children, right? That was just something that he did. He beat his wife and children as a pacifist. But I don't think we should erase him from the history books. We should discuss the fact that he said some pretty interesting things. He did some pretty incredible things. And we're still talking about him decades after his death. We don't need to erase him. We just need to talk about the fullness of who he was. But again, in order to have this revolution, you have to destroy history. You have to take down the statues that celebrate these, these founders. And then you have to erect new statues of the new heroes of the cause, right? So it might be statues of Karl Marx or Vladimir Lenin or Joseph Stalin. Like those are kind of the typical ones. 
But then the protesters and the rioters, you know, they're tearing down statues of great men from the past. George Washington, you know, Thomas Jefferson, Teddy Roosevelt, even Frederick Douglass, you morons, uh, tearing down statues of Abraham Lincoln, right? The guy who freed the slaves, the guy who also wasn't an abolitionist at the beginning of the Civil War, but we don't have to get into that. And now they're creating statues, you know, if not figuratively, of these definably not great men like George Floyd, Michael Brown, Rayshard Brooks. These weren't great men. Again, I'm not saying that any of these people should be dead. Again, Michael Brown is dead because of his own actions today. Rashard Brooks is dead because of his own actions today. George Floyd, not so much. But we're tearing down the, the statues of our founders that did incredible things to give us the country that we have today. And we're, we're putting up people, especially like Michael Brown. My goodness. Again, he has the Imago Day, but as a human being, I mean, you just read through his stats. That was a pretty worthless person. Again, I hope that he's in heaven somehow. I hope that he's, he's chilling with Jesus. I, I, all the things, but this was a criminal. This was a violent person. This was someone, I saw a video of him. He just walked up to this old man outside of an apartment, just punched him, knocked him out, laughed at him and walked away. This isn't a great man. I mean, even I talked about in the last podcast about his death, about the things that he did that led to his own demise. He should still be alive today. Hopefully, if he was still alive today, he, he would have turned a corner, found Jesus, changed his life, turned his life around, you know, gave penance for the things that he did, the horrible things that he did to people. But the, the point is, is that we're tearing down statues of great people and building up statues of these people that aren't great. Even George Floyd, you know, this was a guy that, you know, pointed a gun in a woman's face and robbed her. Like the, this was a guy that was a criminal. Again, he shouldn't be dead today. Derek Chauvin is mainly responsible for his death, but this wasn't a great person. So, so we can't have. George Washington, but we can have Michael Brown. Man, again, that's how the revolutionaries think. And in order to have the revolution in the United States, there's a lot of other things that you need to have. You need to have complete control over speech. You need to have complete control over thoughts, over people's actions, over companies and the means of production. You need complete control over government. And what that ultimately leads to is complete control over people. That, that's what you have to have. You have to have complete control. And Marxism can't just exist in a vacuum. It kind of depends on things. It needs, it needs fuel, it needs gasoline. And it depends mainly on educated elites, right? So think of your Ivy League elites or really most of the people that are walking around the college campus like they're God, you know, people that have PhD after their name because they spend a lot of time studying one single obscure subject in a lot of cases. But you need those educated elites to rule the country. And then you also need useful idiots to defend them and to do their bidding. So let's talk about those useful idiots. Most of these people that are at these rallies, these Antifa rallies and Black Lives Matter riots and all these different things, these are people that haven't read Karl Marx. I'm not even fully convinced that most of these people can read, but you know, they were raised in America, so they probably can read a little bit. Most of them have not read Karl Marx. If they did read them, they wouldn't understand them. They, they wouldn't be able to understand the depth of the things that were being said. They essentially see the bumper sticker sayings of Karl Marx, or they listen to the nice parts of his message that were given to someone else uh, by, you know, basically a pamphlet or a short YouTube video, and then they throw in their support, right? And the thing is, is most of these people are not religious people. These Black Lives Matter Antifa people, these aren't Christians. Their chosen religion is Marxism. It's, It's materialism. Because Marxism and Christianity don't mix at all. At all. And we'll certainly spend some more talking about Christians that have basically bought this nonsense wholesale. But most of these people, they're not Christians. So this is their religion. This is the religion that they propagate. 
But the thing is, is, is how do we know that these people are moronic zealots? We, we need to talk about that. You just need to watch the media members actually put microphones in their faces. Because, you know, more conservative-leaning media like Fox News, they want to put microphones in these people's faces because they know they're morons. But then accidentally sometimes, CNN and MSNBC and other groups like that, they'll put microphones in these people's faces. And what happens? They freeze up. They just freeze up. Hey, what are you out here screaming for? Uh, injustice. Uh, over what? Uh, they killed that guy. What guy? Uh, you know, that, uh, uh, what, was, what was his name? Yo, yo, what was his name? Oh, yeah, yeah, George Floyd. They, they killed uh, George Floyd. Yeah. They don't know what they're out there for. They just know they have a brick in their hand and a window that's not broken in front of them. And the thing is, is if, if I was in the media, right, this probably would get a brick thrown at me, but I would ask these people if I was able to stop them long enough to interview them is when will we be even enough? Because you're out here screaming about equality. When is even enough? When will you stand for the flag? You demand that everyone kneel before the national anthem, right? When will you stand for the flag? When will you stop burning the flag of the union, right? The winning side. When will you stop burning that flag? And the truth, truth is, is these people, they just don't know what they want. It reminds me of the quotes from uh, the Dark Knight, the, the Joker quote. So it was talking about, you know, if a dog you know, catches a car, he's not going to really know what, they, what to do with themselves once they catch the car, right? And then there are just people that they just want to watch the world burn. Like they don't know why else that they're out there. They're out there because of some vagary that they've created a worldview out of, right? But with all this, you want to talk about useful idiots. Joe Biden is a useful idiot in this as well. This is a guy, he's a career politician. He's had 40 years to make the changes that he is screaming for now in his basement by himself, right? But he's a useful idiot. He's already basically told people that he's a transitional candidate. He's essentially signaling to people that he is either not going to run for a second term if he's elected, which is highly, highly likely, or in the middle of his first term, he'll go ahead and turn over the presidency to the vice president. Think about that. Has there ever been a time when the vice president of either candidate meant this much? I mean, it's just crazy, but he's useful. But the thing about Marxism is Marxism, like I said earlier, it doesn't really exist in a vacuum. It leads to a lot of other things. And the, the two things that it's led to now, which have actually created the fumes and the fuel that Marxism needs to, to get the, the, the worldwide support that it, in order to have these takeovers are critical race theory and intersectionality. So if you're not familiar with critical race theory, critical race theory, I'll just kind of read a definition. I thought this was a very good definition. It's the view that the legal or that the law and legal institutions are inherently racist and that race itself, instead of being biologically grounded and natural, is a socially constructed concept that is used by white people to further their economic and political interests at the expense of people of color. This is actually what it says. According to critical race theory or CRT, racial inequity emerges from the social, economic, and legal differences that white people create between races to maintain elite white interests in labor markets and politics, giving rise to poverty and criminality in many minority communities. Critical race theory. Marxism came first. But if you believe that nonsense that I just read, guess what? You're well on your way to being a full-blown Marxist. But then it also leads to intersectionality. So intersectionality, another, uh, I found a good definition online. It said it's a theoretical framework for understanding how aspects of a person's social and political identities, essentially their gender, race, class, sexuality, ability, physical appearance, height, et cetera, might combine to create unique modes of discrimination and privilege. Intersectionality identifies advantages and disadvantages that are felt by people due to a combination of factors. 
Okay, so essentially, what does that mean? That means the more intersectional boxes that you can check, the better off you'll be in the victimhood culture that we live in today. The better off we'll be. Okay, and so the overwhelming thing that people need to understand is that Marxism is not a neutral thing. And it's not some obscure philosophy of the past. That Marxism combined with socialism and communism, which undergirds all of that, and then when you have other theories like intersectionality and critical race theory building all together, it creates all the ingredients that you need for a revolution. So, I told you from the beginning of the podcast that at some point I would give you my reason for what I think is really going on. And this is the big point of this podcast in terms of what's really, really going on here. Leftists are trying to destroy the United States from within. Okay? They're saying that if you agree with them that there is a problem. So let's use Black Lives Matter. If you agree with Black Lives Matter that there's a problem, then you have to also agree with their proposed solution. There there was a pastor that actually pointed that out here recently. I, I can't remember exactly who it was, but... You, you agree with him. Yeah, yeah, I agree that there's your systemic racism in the United States. But now they don't give you an option. You get the binary. It's like, you're a racist or you're a Marxist. So you're a racist if you don't agree with our solution or if you don't think that there's a problem, right? One or the other or both. But if you do agree with that and you agree with our reasoning, that automatically makes you a Marxist. But for a lot of people, oddly enough, it's much easier to be a Marxist. Much, much easier for them to be a Marxist. But the thing is now is a lot of people aren't hiding the ball anymore. They're saying the quiet part out loud, right? They're no longer saying things that are kind of picking around the edges of this revolutionary, this revolutionary idea in terms of how we can take over the United States. They're basically saying it outright. And the most egregious example lately uh, was by Representative Ilhan Omar of Minnesota. This is a person who is has never seen a crazy topic that she didn't want to jump into. She's incredibly, incredibly far left on just about every major issue. Seems to be a very, very corrupt person. This was a person who married a brother in order to basically usurp immigration law. This this is a crazy person, right? But I want to play you a clip. It's like a 30-second clip of something that she said recently. Again, this is a sitting congresswoman who was allowed to immigrate here from a crap country of Somalia, right? She She's saying things like this. So I'll go ahead and roll the tape here. As long as our economy and political systems prioritize profit without considering who is profiting, who is being shut out, we will perpetuate this inequality. So we cannot stop at criminal justice system. We must begin the work of dismantling the whole system of oppression wherever we find it. We must begin the work of dismantling the entire system of oppression, the whole system of oppression, anywhere we find it. This is a sitting member of Congress saying that we need to tear down the system, the exact system that she benefits from, that her her progeny will benefit from now that she's an American citizen. Can you believe that? But the thing is, you you see people like Ilhan Omar and all the people that that just love her, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and all these other morons. You're hearing these people say that they want to tear down the system, but you have to ask them the the natural follow-up, which is, and then replace it with what? Replace it with what? (laughs) Like, what are you going to replace this for? Or with, what are you going to replace this with? Because here's the thing is, it's super easy to tear things down. It's incredibly hard to build things. 
Black Lives Matter and Antifa, they don't know how to build things. They know how to tear things down. And here's an interesting thought for these people that are so desperate to welcome communism and Marxism and, and all the other isms into the United States. None of these people want to live in countries that are currently communist controlled. None of them. Could it have anything to do with the fact that communism has never worked economically, nor has it ever benefited the humanity of the people that were under those systems? Ever? Not in Russia, not in Eastern Europe, not in Venezuela, not in Zimbabwe, not in Cambodia, not in Vietnam, not in China, China, nowhere. Nowhere has this worked economically and benefited the population, benefited the humanity of the people that were there. And guys, we, we have a small example of something that happened in the United States. Y'all remember when Chaz was a thing? Chaz Chop in Seattle? So in the Capitol Hill District, there was this group of people that got together, Marxists, you know, Antifa people. Uh, Chaz stood for Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, and they had to change it to the Capitol Hill, uh, um, you know, occupied protest, some sort of, you know, legalese that, that happened. But the thing is, is if you need any more evidence that Marxist socialist utopias don't work in, or in practice or in reality is you just have to look at Chaz Chop because after about a week of willy nilly running around and doing whatever you wanted to do and, you know, basically keeping people from going to business, they set up walls around their little area, around their little autonomous zone. They set up borders and then they have their own police. (laughs) They set up their own police. Like how interesting, like you want to have this utopian society where, you know, everyone just, you know, gets according to their need and and it's just all just good, fine and dandy. And then you immediately set up police and you immediately start taxing people if you, if they want to kind of go through certain areas. And then people started getting murdered. They started getting murdered in these areas. And then, okay, you know, the adults had to come in and basically tell them to shut the hell up and, and get out of there. Right. But the thing is, is these people, these defenders of Marxism and communism and socialism, they, they will say things like, you know, you know, Lenin and Stalin and Mao and Pol Pot and all those guys, they never really tried communism or socialism. They, you know, they just didn't do it right here. Let me do it. I studied, you know, queer underwater basket weaving at community college. So let me try. Let me, let me try the reins of this. Or I've been in Congress for 17 seconds. Why don't you let me just blow up the system from within? That's what these people do. But again, everything that we've talked about today kind of leads to this very last section of the podcast here. I know we've gone long, but again, there's a lot of content to cover. This is why I couldn't just do it in one show. There are a lot of things that are being done right now that are intended consequences and unintended consequences of all of this unrest and destruction and disintegration. So I'm going to give you the top 10 unintended and intended consequences of all of this. And the thing is, there's a reason why I'm saying unintended slash intended, because there's the same part of my brain that says these things that are going on, or they're just unintended consequences. These are just things that couldn't have been foreseen. But then there's the tinfoil hat side of my brain that says, no, this, this is on purpose that everything that we're seeing, everything that's being done, everything that's being said, this is on purpose. They're they're meaning for this to happen. So I'm going to give you my top 10 here and then we'll get out of here. Number one, people that don't know anything about policing will create, you know, new and improved policing standards and practices. So that that's an unintended or intended consequence of this, because, you know, it's like people that are making military policy, especially about rules of engagement that have never been soldiers. And it's not to say that they don't have anything to add to that, but they just don't know the reality of what's happening on the ground. 
And so you see a lot of these police uh, departments that are kind of, they're trying to ban chokeholds, right? Because it's it's a scary sounding thing because, you know, you watch pro wrestling when you're five years old and a chokehold was something that made a guy look really, really uncomfortable. But for anyone that's trained jujitsu, even for like a week, you know how to properly choke somebody to where you cut off the blood supply supply to their brain and they go to sleep within about three or four seconds versus, you know, basically putting the blade of your forearm in their esophagus and trying to crush their voice box. That's a very different thing. You know, Andrew Yang is not a person that says a lot of smart things on a very regular basis, but his thing that he said on the Joe Rogan podcast that every police officer in America should be at least a Brazilian jiu-jitsu purple belt is one of the smartest things he's ever said. One of the smartest things he's ever said, because if you've ever dealt with choking someone before, like you can do that to where everyone goes home safely. Because I can guarantee you, I would way much rather get choked out with with a gi jacket on at, at, at the forge here in Edmond, Oklahoma, than to get kicked in the head by one of our MMA fighters and get knocked out cold. One can have very, you know, very bad damage over the rest of my life. And the other, I just go to sleep and then I wake back up. Not, not a whole lot of residual damage from that. So we're going to be seeing a lot of that, people that are calling for changes. The second unintended or unintended or intended consequence of all this is the cycle of bad cop hiring because good people don't want to be cops is going to continue. Police departments are struggling to hire right now. There, there used to be, you know, 10 years ago, you just couldn't get on with a lot of departments because, you know, these are safe areas, safe neighborhoods, and people wanted to be cops. Cops were respected in the communities and, and by little kids. And so people wanted to be cops. People grew up wanting to be cops. But now less and less good people are going to want to be, be cops because they're going to, they're really, really afraid that, you know, if they do their jobs that some day they're going to have to basically deal with trying to save their own lives. You know, uh, Princeton released a paper not that long ago that said for every 10 cops that are added in the United States, it prevents one murder. So what do you think happens to that number when you erase 10 cops? It's probably a a manifold difference of one murder that's prevented. So this bad cycle is going to be one of the consequences of everything that we're seeing now. Another unintended or intended consequence of all this, number three here, is that crime, you know, especially crime that affects people of color the most, is skyrocketing. And that will continue as police stand down or are actively kept from standing up because there are a lot of police departments that want to stand up. They're being pacified by their, their local mayors or governors or where the situation may be. And we're currently seeing this all over the country, guys, especially in New York and Chicago, New York city and Chicago. I mean, those places, I mean, Chicago's always been a bloodbath, but we've seen, you know, record murders in New York city because NYPD de Blasio has basically said he's never been, you know, a fan of the cops. He's basically told the, the cops to stand down, to not really intercede with the rioting. He's uh, changing uh, the amount of funding that they have. There's a lot of police officers that are calling in sick and, or, you know, basically cashing in all of their sick leave and vacation leave so that they could retire early. All kinds of these things are happening. But guys, the interesting thing about this is there, there was a Harvard study that was released not, not long ago that recently looked at what happened in areas after a federal investigation of a police officer happened. So a la, you know, in Ferguson, Missouri, after the Michael Brown stuff. And the thing is, you know, what happens is the police basically stop policing after there's been a federal investigation of one of their own in their city or state or municipality, whatever the police basically stop policing the areas that need the policing the most. Because these officers don't want to have their lives and the lives of their families ruined by the mainstream media and leftist politicians if they ever have to pull their sidearm and shoot somebody with it, right? Because what if they just so happen to be a different color than they are? They're a white guy and they shoot a black guy. Crap. Your entire life's over, right? You're a pariah. 
And the thing is, guys, is when police departments stop policing, felony crimes go through the roof. And when the police department stop policing, murders go through the roof. And you know who's disproportionately affected by these things? People of color. Isn't that so interesting? The fourth unintended or intended consequence is that real racism might actually increase. Real racism. You've heard people probably say that all this rioting is probably making racists out of people. It's like, mm, yeah, you might be right. Because there are people that are going to look at, they're going to start buying an inter- intersectionality. They're going to look at people as groups, right? Uh, moron white liberals, right? Or all these black people out here blowing things up and stealing shoes and stealing clothes, right? We might see an increase in actual racism because of all of this, not the opposite. Because you can't enforce something that is in somebody's heart. You can't make somebody feel something different in their heart. You can't do that. You can't control that. You can't legislate that. Now, the fifth unintended or intended consequence is that oblivious people will erroneously believe that they can appease the mob, right? Look at freaking Drew Brees. How's that working out for you? They'll basically bow before the mob, prostrate themselves before the mob, and they're going to be bowing before someone and apologizing for their white supremacy. But the thing is, is that they they don't realize is it won't silence these people. You know, they're going to apologize to the mob, but these people don't get it. It doesn't matter if you apologize to the mob. There is no grace in the mob. There is no forgiveness in the mob. In the Marxist revolutionary worldview, there is no forgiveness. There's only overthrow. You can never bow low enough. You can never apologize loud enough. They will make you think that you can, but you never will. Because even if you prove that you are not a racist, and even further than that, you prove that you are anti-racist, you will never be anti-racist enough. You know why? Because of the color of your skin, which is inherently racist. It's ridiculous. The sixth unintended or intended consequence, depending upon how you look at it, is that people that aren't ready for retribution are poking the wrong bears. So I've talked about Shelby the Stoic on this podcast. So if you go back to my Foxhole episode, you can hear me talk about Shelby the Stoic and what I think of that guy. So I get a phone call a few weeks ago from Shelby the Stoic. You know, this is a guy that I train a lot with. I respect him a lot and he's fired up. And this is a pretty chill guy. Again, he's Shelby the Stoic, but he's fired up on the phone. And he basically said, if I see another educated white liberal tell me that I'm a racist, if I don't come out on Facebook and decry racism and, and go to a Black Lives Matter rally, he's like, I'm going to start just punching random people in the face. It's not an exact quote, but it's pretty damn close to what the, what the guy actually said. And then he went further than that and said, if you demand of him that he kneel before you and apologize for his white privilege, you better break his legs to make him kneel. And if you expect him to say those words, you might as well just go ahead and kill him. It's never going to happen. So you got these dummies these beta males, these people that are just going out, like there's a reason why they wear masks. It's not because they're scared of coronavirus. It's because they're afraid that someone's going to realize who they are, that mommy's going to see them on the news and get mad at them and, you know, basically take away their hot pockets, right? These people are poking the wrong bears because you go poking guys like Shelby the Stoic or, or any of these other guys that, that I know that they look like accountants on the outside, but they will tear your limbs off of you and beat you to death with them on the inside. Like they, they know how to do those things. There's a lot of people that are not ready for the backlash. They, they think that they've got the momentum now because they have the Molotov cocktail in their hand. Revolution can work both ways. I can certainly tear, tell you that. <laughs> so the seventh unintended or intended consequence is that fake racism claims and hate crimes are about to go through the roof. Because guys, 
It's becoming guilty until proven innocent about basically one of the grossest things possible because you can claim that somebody is a racist or that they said the N-word or something like that. And now we're just going to assume that that is true as opposed to asking questions about whether or not that's actually true. And so it's similar to the Me Too movement, right? So let's believe all women and we'll deal with things later, right? There's even these corporations that are basically doing this woke training, this, you know, white supremacy training, this implicit bias training, basically saying if one of your, uh, you know, coworkers, that's in a person of color claims that someone was racist to them. We should just believe them outright. That's something that's being said. But then you have situations like what happened with Jesse Smollett, who basically faked a racial crime so that he could become a victim so that he could go on television and cry. And, and this guy, you know, he's intersectional because he's black and he's also homosexual. So he clicks a couple of those boxes there, but then he was also a victim of a hate crime until it came out that, well, he actually paid those people to pretend that they mugged him wearing MAGA hats in Chicago when it was like 12 degrees outside. So that was something that blew up in his face. Then we had the Bubba Wallace incident, right? So this is a guy that, you know, uh, a NASCAR driver that said there was a noose that somebody put in his garage. It was a basically a garage pool. They had the FBI out there. It was all this craziness, but that was supposedly an accident. Supposedly Bubba Wallace didn't realize that it was just a garage pool. He thought it was actually a noose. But the crazy thing about the Bubba Wallace situation is the people that were hoping that what actually happened to Bubba Wallace was a hate crime. And how much of an ideologue or zealot do you have to be to cross your fingers and hope and pray that a racial incident actually happened? that it was real. You know, guys, just think about it. We now live in a world where you can get away with just about anything. As long as you're a person of color and you claim that someone called you the N word or, or some other, you know, horrible name for a person of color. You remember Miles Garrett, you know, uh, the defensive lineman, whenever he claimed that the quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers called him racial slurs. And that's why he ripped his helmet off and tried to freaking kill him with it. Remember that? Did Miles Garrett get in a whole lot of trouble? Well, he, he said he called him the N-word, but the referees didn't hear that. None of the other teammates heard that, but he can claim that now. There, there was the black guy that, that beat up a Macy's employee just for the sake of beating him up. It, just for the sake that he was a white guy and he was a black guy. And yeah, well, I'm just going to beat up this white guy. But he claimed that the white guy, the Macy's employee, just called him the N-word. Just, you know, skipping along, walking through Macy's, calling people the N-word, right? And, but that's the thing where we just assume that actually happened now. There was even a situation uh, that went down a couple of years ago here at a local college that I'll leave nameless, but there was a wrestling duel between two very good schools that are rivals, and there was a bit of a scrap after uh, one of the weight classes. I don't want to say the exact weight class because people around here know which one I'm talking about, but essentially uh, the, at the center of this kind of brouhaha that happened after the duel was a black wrestler of one of the teams. And the thing was, is he was going to get in trouble because, you know, you, you, be, you can't just go out and fight people. I mean, you're doing basically unarmed combat while as a wrestler, but you can't just go out and start fights and brawls in, in someone else's gym, right? But this wrestler claimed that the other wrestler on the other team, the white wrestler, called him the N-word. So the administration just left this kid alone. Because if you suspend or kick off or remove the scholarship of the guy that claims he was a victim of a hate crime, which can't be proven or disproven, and what is that going to look like? So the university caved. And that happens on college campuses all the time. The number of fake race hoaxes that happen, you know, people writing racial slurs on people's garages or leaving notes on their cars. Like these are things that almost always turn out to be not real or, or perpetrated by the people that are claiming they were victims, right? But the thing is, is we have this environment where you can ruin someone's life, ruin their career without evidence. Because again, like I said in the last episode, 
being accused of racism without any evidence is so gross and so evil because you can literally ruin somebody, ruin their entire family. It's crazy. But victimhood is being encouraged and valued now in our culture, which would seem crazy to our parents' generation or our parents' generations before that. Like now it's more virtuous to be a victim. And, and guys, we're very close to living in a world where when you call everything racist, then nothing's racist. You know, it's the boy who cried wolf phenomenon. That, that's what we're basically teetering towards right now. So we got three more here. The eighth unintended or intended consequence is that the government-run public schools will stop teaching our children about our great forefathers out of fear of being branded as a racist. Now, this is not a discussion today about, you know, whether you should homeschool your kids or private school your kids or Christian school your kids or public school your kids. But guys, I got to be honest, I'm not really worried about Black Lives Matter or Antifa tearing down statues of great Americans. As much as I'm afraid of the public school system ceasing to teach us about these great but imperfect Americans. I mean, are we really that far away? This, this is going to sound hyperbolic, but it shouldn't. Are we really that far away from in fourth, fifth, and sixth grade where we hear about the great things that Vladimir Lenin did? About the incredibly before-his-time philosophies of Karl Marx? About how misunderstood Fidel Castro was? About how Che Guevara was not a murderer, it was a pretty nice guy. But you know that Teddy Roosevelt? Ah, God, that wished that Winston Churchill, that Thomas Jefferson, that Abraham Lincoln. We just can't trust those guys. You know, they own slaves or they said a racist thing once or they weren't always nice to the people that work for them or they weren't always nice to their wives. So we can't talk about those guys in a good light. I mean, are we really that far away from it? The majority of teachers lean left. The teachers unions very much so lean left. Are we that far away from that? A couple more here. The ninth unintended or intended consequences that hating America will become, if it hasn't already, a billion dollar industry. So you have these media conglomerates, you know, these Netflixes and Amazons and all that. They're trying to get together and prove how woke they are by basically producing all of this uh, racist content, white guilt content, all these types of things. But people that love to point out and complain about the system, right? The quote unquote system. They're the ones that are going to profit off of it the most. And the, the examples that so easily come to mind are Colin Kaepernick and LeBron James. Colin Kaepernick was, he, he signed a nine-figure deal to be a quarterback in the NFL. And then almost immediately after that, uh, other teams realized, oh, wait a minute, this guy can't make a secondary read of a defense. They figured him out as a quarterback. He played himself into the backup quarterback role on a horrible San Francisco 49ers team at the time. And then he decides, mm, okay. I'm about uh, a few games away from being out of the league entirely. I think I'll take a knee for uh, social justice uh, against police brutality or something. And now he's making millions of dollars from Nike for, for being that, for him bullying them into basically not selling shoes with the best Betsy Ross flag. You know, he's bullying them to, to do all these different things. He's signed a deal with ESPN to create these documentaries about his life. It's, it's crazy. And then you got a guy like LeBron James, who he's, he's part of this media conglomeration now that's going to basically make all of these kind of, kind of woke documentaries and entertainment and all these different things. And it's like, these are people that are making a, making a killing off of the exact same country that they say it's impossible to get ahead in because they're people of color. 
I mean, essentially, we're going to become a culture that is devoid of real comedy. That's kind of where this is going, because there, there's not going to be in the in the years to come. There's not going to be any race based joking. You know, people aren't going to be, able, you know, they will be able to make fun of me because I'm Irish, because I'm a white guy. You know, I'm part of the patriarchy, whatever the situation may be. But all this comedy where you're basically looking at pieces of other people's culture and kind of poking fun of it, all that's going to be gone. And, you know, even these things like, you know, I understand that it's it's offensive to some people when people dress up uh, as somebody else. But here's the thing. There's a big, massive difference between actual blackface and a white person or a Latino person dressing up as a black person, right? You know, whether for a comedy sketch or for Halloween or something like that, to pretend that those things are the same is ridiculous. Like, if you dress up as Little Black Sambo, that's incredibly racist because that's blackface. But someone dressing up as their favorite, you know, black artist, like that, that's not the same thing. And the last thing here, guys, and this is really going to dovetail a lot nicely and kind of springboard us into next week's episode, the last episode in this series, the 10th unintended or intended consequence is that empathy-filled Christians are buying this Marxist critical race theory and intersectionality nonsense hook, line, and sinker, and they're calling it the gospel. That's what they're doing. Christians are way too easily being swept up in these social movements that are grounded in secularism. And again, in an intersectionality and critical race theory, they're just buying it. And because they're trying to be nice and they're trying to, you know, I don't know exactly what the, what the, what the motivation is, but they think they're doing the right thing by buying into all of this, by saying black lives matter, by going to these rallies and chanting with these people. And some of the reasons are because many of our pastors are weak men that won't talk about this. You know, they'll just keep talking about whatever series they were talking about and, and they don't really want to go into this or the pastors have bought into it too. And maybe they're just teaching all the fluffy, feel-good stuff that you see from a lot of megachurch pastors and they don't ever want to ruffle any feathers so they're not going to go into this subject matter, right? So guys, I know this was a long one today, right? I'm glad you guys that have hung in here till the end. I'm glad that you came all this way because again, the last two episodes, there's so much information. Guys, there's so much stuff that I left out. You should have seen my notes that I had to kind of basically whittle down to get, you know, the hour or so chunk last week and the hour, hour and a half or so chunk for this week. But there's so much to discuss here. But next week is where we really start to bring this together uh, because that's the final part of this three-part series. And we're going to look at what we can do as society and especially as warriors under the leadership of the Lion of Judah as we move forward. How can we reconcile? How can we move forward in all this? All right. So definitely make sure you are here for next week. But before we let you guys go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know, by now we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. Specifically, we do that by providing content like this podcast that helps you forge spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So today for you, I've got a couple of links because I quoted the Black Lives Matter website a lot. You can check me on it. You can make sure I read it and I did it fairly. You can go check out their website. And then I've also got a video that I thought was very helpful in my preparation for this to try and break down all of the different ideologies of Karl Marx and to make it palatable and digestible. So it's a PragerU video called Who is Karl Marx? So I've got that for you here as well. Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. I really do appreciate it. If you would, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, 
you, please leave us five stars and a few sentences letting us know why you like the content and how we can continue to bring it to you in the way that you like it. Guys, I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the remainder of 2020 if we have events, but also for the beginning of 2021. So if you want me to come speak on your podcast, at your men's event, at your church, at your company, hit me up, info at undaunted.life. The email is info at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is their song Defender, which is off their latest record entitled Guardians. The links to all of this are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah. Right.